one big lesson here is that in the long run of your life, your grades and your college degree does not define you or what you'll be doing the rest of your life. Over time, you start to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and you start to recognize that you're the only person that can change your mindset and yourself. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Raymond Lorenzana, Program Manager at LinkedIn, and more specifically, LinkedIn's Reach Apprenticeship Program, of which I am a proud member. Raymond, welcome to Exponential Growth. Woo, such a huge honor to be here. I do appreciate you helping to amplify stories for folks who are in tech and who come from non-traditional backgrounds. I feel like this is very, actually super powerful and inspiring. Yeah, I appreciate that, Raymond. And I guess I have interviewed several of our community members and everybody's got a tremendous personal story that's specific to them. And I love just being able to have conversations like this for a broader audience, just in case people listening can take bits and pieces of that and try to stitch together their own path into tech. But I want to talk about your journey for sure into tech. But before we do that, Raymond, why don't you maybe briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Awesome. Well, as uh, you've mentioned, my name is Raymond and I am a program manager at LinkedIn. I am part of the EngOps and Initiatives team and the initiative or program that I manage is called Reach. (laughs) As for context, Reach is a technical apprenticeship program at LinkedIn that really creates opportunities for every individual with like the passion, potential, and drive to either develop or restart their technical career. My role, however, really involves managing the apprenticeship experience and ensuring that every single apprentice has an impactful experience from day one of their journey uh, to exiting program and ultimately being promoted to either a software engineer, technical program manager, or even in a uh, UXR position. So shout out to folks like you. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I am absolutely partial, but I think the, you know, the REACH apprenticeship program is, it was beyond my wildest dreams. When I was in a software engineering boot camp and I heard about this program, it's like, no way, that's that's too good to be true. It can exist like that. And it turns out it was even better when I was actually fortunate enough to make it in. So I want to circle back to that later on. But first, I want to figure out how you got where you are, Raymond. And I know I'm not alone. So why don't you take us way back <laughs> growing up? Where did you grow up? What was that like? Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So I did grow up in California, specifically in the Bay Area, in a small suburb city called Union City. And it's so small that I feel like this city has a very huge and strong sense of community growing up. So community has always been very huge for me. I myself grew up as a very positive and adventurous and driven kid, always smiling, laughing, and active on my feet. Um, I'm also very lucky to be able to have two loving parents and one older sister that I look up to, especially having first-generation immigrant parents from the Philippines who worked really hard to provide and put a roof over my head. For context, my mom, she worked at the San Francisco Police Department, specifically in the Warrants Department, and I just remember her working overtime all the time. So looking back at that, it kind of shows a lot. As for my dad, he worked at a chocolate factory. And it's funny because growing up, I would always tell my friends in elementary school, my dad works at a chocolate factory. (laughs) And they'd always be like, "Uh, is he Willy Wonka? Is he Willy Wonka? (laughs) I mean, you can imagine as as a kid, it's like that. But other than that, I grew up very tight-knit with my family. 
my dad, he had 10 total brothers and sisters, which wow. means I have 20 cousins on my dad's side who, who I like genuinely love and appreciate. And again, that sense of community has always been there for me. So, yeah. Are you still close with maybe a subset of those cousins? I can't even imagine. A hundred thousand percent. We actually go on annual trips together. Nice. I've become like the godfather to some of them, which has been a huge honor. And honestly, not even annual trips. I, I would say bi-yearly trips. And we always have a whole bunch of cousin gatherings. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be hosting them this next weekend. So excited nice. for that. That's awesome. And to those listening, it probably will come through in this conversation, but I just want to point out that Raymond has this infectious energy and he just always seems to be in such a positive mood. So I just wanted to make sure that that, that comes through. And again, I feel like it already has. And I just want to, I want to thank you for that, Raymond. And it sounds like the support network you had at home growing up probably lent itself to that perhaps. Oh, a million percent. Yeah. Like just having a huge support system means a lot growing up and being able to provide that in the role that I'm in today just is very fulfilling. Talk to me about high school, because I think I see here that you were not only senior class president, but junior class president. And when I think back to yeah. my own high school experience, Raymond, I was doing the bare minimum. And it looks like that was not the case for you. Sounds like you had your stuff together, but I want to know more. <laughs> no, thank you for asking. Yeah. So I, a fun fact about me, I wasn't actually the smartest kid. So I'm not very book smart. In fact, I was like a 2.0 student. I even failed algebra three times. And up until today, I don't recall a lot of parts about math. But on the flip side of that, although I wasn't book smart, I was very engaged in mm. community and just the thought of working. And as you mentioned, I was actually senior class president, junior class president. And even I started out really as sophomore secretary. So I feel like from there, I gained a lot of leadership skills, organization skills, and really creating that memorable years of high school for a class of 1000 folks. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I had a huge class. I organized like prom, floats, skits, and I'd always host people at my house. And it's funny because next year, we actually have our 10-year high school reunion that I have to plan. So I'm putting together a little committee there. Nice. But yeah, within high school, uh, I actually was kind of a workaholic, I would say. Okay. Uh, sophomore, I was like, so, as soon as I could start working, I wanted to work. So sophomore year, I had my first job ever. Mm. And it's a fun job, I would say. It was actually at Sonic. Do you know what Sonic is by Yes, chance? I do. Yeah. Yep. So it was fun because I got to serve food in rollerblades. It was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could imagine a lot of horror stories there of me falling, but overall it was fun getting to serve food in rollerblades and really that customer service aspect. In junior year, on top of being senior class president, there was one point I actually had three seasonal jobs hmm. and I didn't have to do it, but it was more so I just wanted to get into like that work ethic industry. So at Best Buy, I sold a lot of TVs. At Target, I was part of the electronics section. And I was, and also worked at Finish Line, which is a place where I sold shoes. Nice. So I did it more so for like the fun experience of it all. And again, just really liked working and meeting people and talking yeah. to people. As, so that, that's junior year. As for senior year, and also leading into community college, I did actually work at Marriott as well. Right. So... I love that industry. I love the hotel industry so much just because you get to meet folks around the globe. I actually started as a breakfast attendant. And in in the span of one and a half years, I went to front desk and then immediately to front desk supervisor. So 
feel like that was a great experience as well. Maybe all yeah. this working contributed to my bad grades, but I think <laughs> I, at the same time, I got to learn a lot too, you know? Yeah. Well, coming for full circle, you know, look where you've landed, Raymond. I, I think it was all worth it in the end for sure. And I want to ask you, so you mentioned all these different jobs that you're doing, and I did want to ask about your time at Marriott Hotels. Maybe yeah. at this time when you were in high school, maybe getting ready to move on from that, you had mentioned a community college. Did you have a plan? Did you think of where, like maybe what you wanted to major in and what you wanted to work in? Or were you still trying to feel through that? Definitely was still trying to feel through that. I think since my grades weren't the best, I did decide to go to community college first, where I ended up choosing communications as a major. And that is honestly, was really only because I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did want okay. to do something. Okay. And I, as many folks, I feel like that's the, the case entering college at a young age is kind of don't know what you want to do, but with communications, I felt like it was aligned to what I was doing at Marriott, where I got to just talk to a lot of people. A matter of fact, the Marriott I worked at was near Tesla. So there always be people who worked at Tesla sleeping nice. there. And I just like get to know them and they talk about tech. And that was that was really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I think one big lesson here, majoring in communications, is that I want to assure anyone listening that in the long run of your life, your grades and your college degree does not define you or what you'll be doing the rest of your life. No, I, I, again, a little bit partial here, but I could not agree mm -hmm. more because I too, Raymond, I, I think I've probably told you this. I know I've told the audience as well. You know, I joke, it took me, it took me eight years to get a four-year English degree. And yeah. basically halfway <laughs> through that, when I temporarily dropped out, I didn't have a GPA because I was doing yeah. everything that you can imagine wrong. And again, <laughs> I finally got my act together, went back to school. And I think I still mm -hmm. only graduated with like a, maybe like a two five. And that's with like a straight 4.0 from the time that I went back for those final two years. That's how bad it was at the beginning. <laughs> but to your point, I was so yeah. frustrated at the time. But when I zoom out and look back at that, and mm -hmm. again, this is partially a testament to a program like reach that doesn't just, you know, look at you as a number on a sheet, you know, they, they actually look at other aspects of your personal journey and the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the determination, all the different factors that you've shown and persevered through. So yeah, again, Totally partial, but grateful for a program like Reach. And to your point, yeah, if you have horrible grades, that that doesn't necessarily have to be the end of the story. It may just be a, a fun chapter to bring up in situations like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I were both living truths to that. Yes. So I see on here, you eventually went to Hawaii, I believe, to what was this after community college? Yes, yes. So I did go to De Anza Community College. And after finishing up my general ed there, I made the best decision of my life and decided to finish my last two years at University of Hawaii. This was a huge part of my life just because I, as mentioned, I grew up in Union City and that's small city. So it was a, it was a huge life change for me to be somewhere outside of California too, you know, yeah. just to experience and explore life. A matter of fact, this may sound corny, but I married myself during that chapter of life where I promised I would uh, really try to try to reach my full potential and be the best person I can be out there. Wrote a letter to myself, got a got a ring, put it on myself, and boom, uh, I feel like a lot ha happened there. Wow, no, I love that. But, where where did that? I've never heard of that, but I love it as a as a concept. Did you come hmm. up with that? Did you hear that somewhere? You know, I from what I, yeah, I remember watching a TED talk on it. So okay. shout out to the TED talk who yeah. who inspired me to do that. But yeah, I was at University of Hawaii. <laughs> okay, and, happy and to, I think to dive more there. Yeah, no, I'd love to. And I think I, I do see, it looks like you still were pursuing the communications and sociology minor. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. 
So the, the yes. thought process behind that was still maybe, was it that you didn't know exactly what you wanted to do, but you wanted the, let me ask you this, were you, were you checking a box with that four-year degree or was there, <laughs> was there more intentionality behind it? To be quite honest, I was checking the box okay. and I was, and again, similar to in high school where I wasn't as book smart, I wanted to engage myself in other ways that will hopefully bring me or open up other doors. Yeah. And as mentioned, I always enjoyed the feeling of community and staying active. So during my time there, I actually participated in various activities. Uh, I was in a fraternity. I was a PR officer in our Filipino club. Nice. I was a campus center board member and even a residential assistant. So hashtag free housing on that one because oh, who doesn't like yeah. free housing? And on top of that, I was a full-time student. And even at one point, I, was, I had an internship somewhere there. But you could imagine a lot of like the time management pieces of balancing. All of that was a lot. And there's even the social aspect too. And I'm a very social person. So I love even going, like making the time for friends that I've made out there. But yeah, with the communications major, I look back, it's funny. Growing up, I actually, in elementary school, I wanted to be a chef mm -hmm. because, I because I love food. I love food a lot. In high school, I actually wanted to join the Marines. And in college, I guess my intention with the communications major was I was kind of interested in be, like exploring public relations slash social media marketing. So really just like, I guess I'm a very open-minded person. So I was open to really any door and just exploring. And I knew communications was a broad major too. So yeah. Yeah. No, maybe uh, you had mentioned an internship as well. And I want to get to that as well. But aside from that, were you <laughs> working? I don't know if there's a Marriott over there in Hawaii <laughs> that you were able to transfer to. Were you doing anything else? Totally would work. I would love to work at a Marriott in Hawaii. I feel like that is top tier. However, I was a residential assistant. So that was kind of similar in a sense. Yeah. That's where my transferable skills okay. went. And it gave me free housing. So that's that, yeah. that was like the biggest yeah. win here. <laughs> okay. No, cool. Yeah. And and now talk to me about this internship. And again, mm -hmm. you know, when I when I did everything wrong in retrospect, Raymond, I, I had heard about internships. I didn't know how yeah. I should look for them, how soon I should look for them. So like how did you learn that maybe you should apply or or did you just maybe fall into one? Like, what was that like? Yeah, so I always just knew the term internship. I never really understood what it was. But I guess with that, you're probably wondering how I landed an internship in the first place. Sure. Yeah, so I stumbled upon this concept of cold emailing. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> cold emailing is really just randomly emailing people and companies for opportunities. So I did exactly that. One random weekend, I went into random buildings all over Hawaii. Wow. Literally, like spent my whole day just going to random buildings, grabbing a whole bunch of business cards wow. and obtaining a list of folks to cold email and saying, hey, my name is Raymond. I'm a college student who's going to graduate and I'd love to like, you know, gain experience. Yeah. And you'd be surprised. I yeah. got a lot of, I got, I found a lot of opportunities from that. Probably like six, maybe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And a side note, I guess a quick plug here is that, you know, working at LinkedIn, we have the luxury of finding people at the palm of our hands now and not having to drive from company to company yeah, no, and that's getting right. those business cards. So yeah, I think cold emailing is very powerful and that's what landed my internship at Royal Hawaiian Center. Nice. And I love that you did that legally. I was going to ask you, like, where did you get the email addresses from? Was it some service or shady service? But you actually put yeah. in the work. You were going around and getting the business cards. So I kudos was. to you for that. Where, where did you get that idea? Or was it just like, did you figure out, here's a problem, here's how I'm going to solve it and just go after it? 
You know, I think this is from another TED Talk. So a huge shout out to TED Talk for okay. spreading that knowledge. I think the mission is really rare for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to add the, the TED Talks to my, my own <laughs> arsenal. I've watched a couple, but no, you seem yeah. to have had some, some great luck with that. So yeah, yeah. Talk, talk to us. How, how did you pick the internship that you did select? Because it sounds mm -hmm. like you had options. Why did you pick the one you did? To be honest, it just sounded like a lot of fun. And the location itself was really cool. I guess for context, Royal Hawaiian Center Think of a very huge, and I mean huge, like strip-wise outside mall with various high-end stores and restaurants. Mm. You could imagine like Wolfgang Steakhouse, Apple, Tiffany and Company, like et cetera, et cetera. And my role there was to really oversee the social media marketing aspect of it, as well as do some like brand influencer partnerships and even organize cultural events within Royal Hawaiian Center overall. The social media platforms were huge. Like they'd had over like a hundred thousand followers. Mm. So it was very interesting. Like, you know, you're a communications major, you're doing this. And I mean, it's just an it's an experience, you know, like it's yeah. a huge experience. I think one of the funnest things too is like I I remember there'd be days where they'd be like, they'd give me a voucher to just eat food from mm. the food court and just take pictures of it and then post wow. it. <laughs> yeah. What a job. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And there's also like the cultural aspects too that I really appreciated. Like I got to watch hula performances and um, playmaking and it was like really fun exposure to the social media marketing world. Yeah. Well, why don't you talk to us about that? Because how, how did you learn how to be a quote unquote social media marketer? Don't tell me it was a TED talk involved. <laughs> no TED talk involved. Definitely had a mentor there. It was, so yeah, given it was an internship, it was more of like learning a lot and mentoring and shadowing one specific person named Caroline. Shout out her. She was an amazing person who just taught me the ropes of like making a strategy with marketing and like trying to hit different numbers, whether it's in Facebook, whether it's in Instagram or TikTok, or TikTok actually wasn't a thing at the time, but yeah, okay. you did. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. And so I would imagine I, I'm cheating a little bit because I'm following along on your LinkedIn profile. Most internships come to an end. It looked like you did uh, as well, but it looks like you're about to not only come back to California, but you're going to land a role at a, a Fang company, which I actually didn't know before today. But why don't you, <laughs> before I spoil that, why don't you tell us yeah, how yeah. did that internship play out? Oh yeah, no, yeah. It was crazy because the internship was coming to an end. Very grateful for that role because obviously I learned a lot work-wise. And it was the last like three months of college. I remember just applying, applying, applying and list of applications being sent. And I got, I, I was really happy. I, I randomly woke up and I got a job offer, uh, a contract job offer, of course, at Google. Mm. So right after graduation, I literally packed my bags post-college and had to start in two weeks. So my first role out of college was, I'm grateful and very happy to say was at Google. It was a contract position. And a side note here, I'm a huge advocate for contract positions. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like when you when you found that out? Because I, I know now, you know, even LinkedIn, people hold mm -hmm. companies like LinkedIn in high regard, all the fame companies and whatnot. Was this just like, did this did this make your day when you saw that? Or was it just another opportunity to learn things and have fun? I always see everything as an opportunity to learn things. But I mean, okay. to be honest, at that moment, I was like, wow, I'm working at yeah. Google. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. I remember right. like, I remember how proud my parents were, how proud my family was. Definitely a heartfelt experience and moment. I feel like a lot of the experiences I had prior really led up to that. Yeah. So when you got to Google, what, what did you do? So my contract at Google was for six months. 
And I supported four different program managers by helping to organize the logistics for their onboarding programs and global technical trainings. Okay. Mind you, this is my first tech job and real job out of college. So I dealt with a lot, and I mean a lot of imposter syndrome and anxiety mm -hmm. those six months. But I also learned a lot of skills like coordinating, communicating, time management, and et cetera. Thankfully, I feel like that is really the, the point of your first job out of, or experience out of college. And to be honest, any job, you learn what skills you're good at, you learn what skills you need to improve, you learn what you like, you learn about what you don't like, and most importantly, I feel like you learn about yourself. You lobbed a softball there, but I am going to take a swing. So how did you work <laughs> through that imposter syndrome that you felt? Great call out. You know, I didn't know how at the time, but that's the thing. You don't know how at the time, but then time happens. And over time, you start to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And you start to recognize that you're the only person that can change your mindset and yourself. And through that, I think that's where the magic happens. Like imagine just imposter syndrome wouldn't exist without feeling imposter syndrome. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like recursive me. almost. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. exactly. It's like the balance of life. Like you need yin and yang. So yeah. And do you still feel it at different times today? Like even with all the experience you have? Oh, oh yeah. A, a thousand percent. I feel like that's the thing is like you get used to knowing that you get imposter syndrome, that it's not yeah. imposter syndrome anymore. Yeah. And I hear from leaders that that's the case all the time is like, they just, what is it? Act it till you know it or yeah, fake it till you make it, right? Fake it till you make it. There we go. There yeah. we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. Okay. And you had mentioned like, this was your first job in tech. And at this mm -hmm. point in your story, Raymond, were you convinced? Was this a field that you wanted to continue to pursue or were you still maybe open to different areas? Like you had done communications, you thought about social media marketing. Now you're in tech. Were you convinced? Oh yeah, absolutely. I definitely love being in tech and the culture. And I feel like I could just grow my skills from here and just continue to flow into whatever door opens. Yeah. And it sounds like you gained valuable experience in that role based on how you described it. Very similar to things that I think you do today. Today. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so it's always like that. I feel like you look back at life and it just makes sense on why you, were, why you are where you are today. Yeah. And maybe talk about transferable skills because so many people, myself included, are guilty of going from one industry to another, like tech, blue collar mm -hmm. to tech, anything else to tech. And it's like, I have nothing that relates. And obviously that's not true. And when I zoom out and look back, yes, there are many things that I've done in the past that do lend themselves to today. And I'm curious, exactly. do you see that as well in your experience? Yes, yes, absolutely do. You worked at Google for, I think, seven months. Is that or six or seven months? That was the duration of your uh, internship there? Yes, six months. And as it was coming to an end, I was, of course, looking for new roles, but it's crazy because one day I go on my LinkedIn and a recruiter reached out to me on LinkedIn about a role at LinkedIn. Uh -oh. So a huge plug here, shout out Parole, uh, who reached out to me on LinkedIn nice. and gave me that interview opportunity. Nice. Were you still at Google at the time? How, If so, how long did you have left in that internship, if you remember? Yeah, I had about one month left at Google when I got that. Yeah, so I nice never timing. had a break. 
yeah, it's crazy. Looking back, I realized I never really had like a break in between yeah. going from Hawaii to Google, Google yeah. to LinkedIn. And then, so what, what was the, I guess, to the extent that you, you want to talk about it, the interview process, I didn't ask you about the Google one, which we can certainly talk okay. about that as well, if you'd like, but what was that like? Like going into tech and going through those interviews, was it different than anything you'd, I guess, gone through before? Oh man, I'm going to be honest with you, James, but I kind of forgot the interview process there. Okay. It must not have been painful then. <laughs> you must have done well. <laughs> Yeah, I totally forgot. It okay. was well, you that. made it anyway. And yeah, yeah, appreciate that. The position that you were offered was it the first non-contract? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what was that like? Did that feel any different to you? Did it feel less ephemeral? Maybe. Yeah, there is a huge thing about being in a contract position, and I feel like that's contract insecurity, just mm -hmm. because you know that there's a deadline there. Now with this role, as you mentioned, it was a full-time position. LinkedIn is my first full-time role out of college, which is, again, a huge privilege and honor to have. But it does give you that sense of security, like I am safe, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so what were you doing at LinkedIn when you joined? Was it similar to what you had done at Google? Yeah, it was actually exactly what I was doing at Google, but a little okay. more. So I did join the technical training team. And I started out as an associate program manager. And this was a completely new and growing team starting from scratch. And to explain my role, I like to bucket it into three different things. The first is Eng Bootcamp. So this is LinkedIn's technical onboarding program that every new Eng hire attends. So I really manage the logistics and operations for that. Second would be NGU, which is Eng University. So I would collaborate with various engineering teams and orgs to house any technical learnings on this L&D platform. And a side note, it was a huge honor to be part of this team at the time because we actually launched this mm -hmm. and it has grown so much. And then third, this one is more of like where I gained my program management skills and it was on the newer side of what I was doing is Tech Talks. Nice. Yeah, yeah, Tech Talks. So I had the honor to build out this program from ground up to scale knowledge sharing to over 7,000 engineers. Wow. Our mission that we had with Tech Talks is to share technical wisdom and insights that contribute to the productivity and knowledge of every engineer at LinkedIn. So yeah, that was that was my role, my first team bucketed into three. And it's funny because I feel like we've talked about TED Talks a lot and it comes full circle. It comes full circle. It comes full circle being able to uh, organize Tech Talks. Yeah, no, they sound eerily similar. And that, that's good, though, that I think you were able to to lean into something that had worked for you personally and basically leverage that to help so many other people. And, and no, I think that's amazing. And so yeah. then how has your time at LinkedIn progressed? Because now, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, you are, to my understanding, you are the program manager for the Reach Engineering Apprenticeship Program. So kudos to you for that. What was that <laughs> ascension like? Ah, uh, yeah, great call out. So it was funny because the my first year at LinkedIn, I actually had lunch with over a hundred folks. I would make, like document a list of folks that I'd have lunch with and a lesson that I've learned from each of them. I think I just had that like huge drive, you know, being in, in this role. Now, it's funny because one of the people I had lunch with is actually Mohawk's chief of staff. And she reached out to me one day and said, hey, there's this role on my team. Are you interested in applying? Mm. And it was uh, working alongside Nicole on the REACH program. So I had the opportunity to interview there and the rest is history. Now I am here with REACH. 
I know we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but do we want to maybe zoom out? And I would love to hear you describe the REACH program for the audience, even though they're probably familiar with it. Let's assume that they're not. And maybe describe mm -hmm. it as you understand it now, and then maybe contrast it to how it was when you joined versus how it is today, how it's grown perhaps or evolved. Yeah, so for context, REACH is a technical apprenticeship program at LinkedIn that really creates opportunities for every individual with the passion, potential, and drive uh, to either develop or re restart their career, their technical career. Now, if I were to explain it to an elementary school year old, let's just say it's a job where you can learn on the job to become an engineer. <laughs> yeah. It's almost too good to be true, Raymond. I guess technically we're hourly, but for all intents and purposes, the way that I view it anyway, mm -hmm. is you're a, an employee. To your point, you don't have the fear of that, the internship or the contract mm -hmm. period looming over you. LinkedIn treats us extremely graciously, I feel, with all the benefits and whatnot that we are exposed mm -hmm. to at such an early stage in our respective careers, because most of us or either self-taught, you know, boot camp, yeah, something exactly. like that. So I just, it, it's phenomenal. I don't think there's many programs out there like it. And I don't know why there aren't. I know. Yeah. It's a huge honor to know that this program exists. It's crazy because in my old role, when I was part of the technical training team, we actually had an apprentice on our team. And I remember mm -hmm. when he first joined, I was like, uh, what's an apprentice? <laughs> yeah, that, that was like a huge learning lesson. And as, yeah. as I mentioned, the program that I managed, Tech Talks, we had Catherine Lewis, who was also an apprentice, help with Tech Talks. And I think it shows a lot that like apprentices who join have like this huge willingness to learn and just be part of the engineering culture, yeah. which I, I see across the board. Yeah, no, I love it. And I think I recently checked the the official LinkedIn Reach website, and it looks like there's a cohort on the horizon. I'm not sure if there's ah, anything that you can, can share or not, but yes, I'd yes. be remiss if I didn't ask. I really appreciate you asking because I feel like this is a great marketing plug. So a side note here on Reach is that we will actually be hiring soon. I believe we're aiming to open up job applications the week of September 5th. All right. So more to come there. The roles that we'll be hiring for is specifically backend apprentice engineer, as well as artificial intelligence slash machine learning apprentice engineer. Yeah. So more folks to come within reach and we yes. are a growing program and I appreciate leadership with my whole heart for really believing in our program and, um, you know, opening up the opportunity for folks that do come from non-traditional backgrounds. Yes. Our journey has come very far. Right now, we have a community of 193 apprentices and growing. So I think this next one will hit our 200 mark potentially. So right. I have to celebrate. We're all going to have to celebrate. Yeah. There. yeah. No, I'm so <laughs> excited. I'm so excited that you announced that. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. And so now I want to put myself in the, the shoes of the listers, maybe. Now, you had mentioned you're looking for future back-end engineer apprentices and artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, these mm. sound like scary terms. And I think I know the answer to this, Raymond, because I've been through the process. But if I'm a, maybe a self-taught student out there that's done a few Udemy courses or maybe a Udacity machine learning nano degree, do you feel like maybe mm. they have enough or what, what do you feel like the program is looking for in, in these, these roles to the extent that you can can share that. I'm not asking for the secret sauce. I'm just asking, yeah. is there anyone out there that should just be like, oh, you, you don't have enough. You shouldn't apply. Uh, I think my biggest secret sauce is to honestly just answer the questions of your best of your ability and really read through them thoroughly. Know the skills that you have yeah. and be your biggest self-advocate 
in conveying those skills. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're talking about the, the essays, which the website mentions as well. Is that what you're referring to? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So to anyone out there listening, I mean, don't think just because you've only done a few courses in either of the fields that are mentioned, don't think that you don't have a shot because you certainly do. It's just a question of, you know, culture fit, obviously, and being able to tell your story and yeah, don't, exactly. don't count yourself out. Yeah. This is the perfect time for a Nike plug uh, logo sign because just, just do, do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. So back to you and your story, Raymond, if you zoom out from where you are today, looking back at your journey so far, I mean, you, in my mind, you, you have to be amazed in a good way that, that you've not only come so far, but just the, the different things and the different experiences that you've gotten to experience. Mm. So I guess that wasn't a question. The question is, are you still enjoying it? It seems like you found a, a home here at LinkedIn in your current role. Oh yeah. I definitely found a home here in my current role. I feel like it ties perfectly to how I grew up, which is that sense of community. There is a saying out there that has stuck with me, which is lift as you climb. Mm, I like that. And I feel like this role doesn't help me to lift not one person at a time, but huge communities at a time. Yeah. And with lifting up these huge communities, it really changes folks' lives. And there's a ripple effect to that, right? Like I'm yeah. sure, James, you understand, like there's folks who have come from really crazy backgrounds and- yeah. For them to have their lives change not only impacts them, but it really helps their families, their yeah. friends, and even inspires them too. So I'm very grateful to be part of the REACH program and being able to own the apprenticeship experience and build that community because I know exactly what it feels like to have a community, what it feels like to have a support system because yeah. it's very powerful, very, yeah. very powerful than having to do something alone. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I I just want to take a quick minute to, I guess, to express my gratitude. And again, just to very quickly paint my story. And and yeah, please. it took me that those eight years to get the the four year English degree, which has very little with what I do today. So didn't know what Mm -hmm. I wanted to do there. I I did spend a year in Sweden. That was fun. And then I went to work on boats, you know, blue collar, working my way up there. I did get a chance to manage the boats. That was fun as well. I enjoyed that. But the travel, Raymond, was it wasn't conducive to the family life that I wanted to have. And I am just so grateful that I I did eventually burn those proverbial ships. I left that career (laughs) and I enrolled in one of the boot camps that are out there. And thank God that I heard about the reach apprenticeship program applications being open, even though I didn't know about the program at the time. And Mm -hmm. again, you know, the stars aligned. I'm so grateful for that. And I just can't express how, grateful I am to not have to wake up, you know, Monday morning at 5 a.m. and drive 12 hours to a different state to to be at a shipyard for that entire week away from my family. I get to commute 15 seconds into my home office and I get to do yeah. something that I truly love doing, which is, is programming. And I actually get paid to do that. So I know people have 10x the story that I just painted for myself, but I just wanted to express my personal gratitude and just speak to the power of this program. Well, my feelings for you are very mutual. I have a huge gratitude for you too, because if you take a step back and look at what you're doing now, you're literally helping to amplify some of the voices within REACH that do have similar backgrounds and experiences. And I'm super proud of you and everyone in the REACH program. Just know that there's nowhere but up from here for you all. Yeah. No, I appreciate that, Raymond. Thank you so much. And now, so again, back to you, Let's, (laughs) let's zoom out. What's the typical day in the life of Raymond, if there is one? Oh man, 
all my days are very different. That's yeah. the, the first thing about program management. I'm actually happy to explain program management too, if that's helpful for folks yeah, who are interested sure, in go getting for it. into the career. Yeah. So Please. I'm going to explain program management as if you're 10 years old. So first, I think it'll be good to start with project management because oftentimes I think those two do get confused, although they are quite similar. So let's say that you want to organize a birthday party. First thing you want, you have to do is plan it. What kind of party do you want to have? Who's going to help you throw it? Where is it going to be? So that's the planning part. Then you have to make sure that everybody knows what their jobs are. Who's going to decorate the cake? Who's going to bring the decorations? Who's going to set up all the chairs and tables? Those people need to know what their role is and when they need to get something done by. So sometimes there are actually dependencies that you have to manage, which means that if someone is going to decorate the tables, they can't decorate the tables until the tables have been set up. Hmm. And if two people are doing those two jobs, then you have to wait for one to finish before the other can start. Um, then there's always risk. What if you ran out, ran out of the color of icing that you needed to finish the cake? Then you're going to have to come up with a different solution. So you're going to have to be checking in on this whole planning thing as it's going to make sure that everyone is on track and on time for the party. Okay. There's also going to be a lot of people who want to, or you're going to be wanting to make the party epic. So you need to make sure that you are reporting to everyone if there's any risk or are not meeting the timeline and that the party is going as planned. Okay. So that is a project manager. Now, a program manager, on the other hand, which is what I do, is someone who might work for an event planning or wedding venue. They're not just overseeing one project to go smoothly, but overseeing multiple at a high level, okay. making sure that everyone knows what's going on with them. So let's use like a wedding venue as an example. There might be multiple wedding, wedding coordinators, and they might be working with multiple different brides and grooms, and they might be having 10 or different weddings at the venue that month. Okay. But this person is making sure that they're coordinating with all the wedding planners, aka okay. the project managers, to understand if the bride's grooms are happy. Okay. And that is kind of what I do at LinkedIn as a program manager is oversee a couple of teams yeah. to make sure that they're tracking out. Okay, just to make sure that I understood that correctly. So in <laughs> your example, let's say that there's three weddings instead of 10. Instead of yeah. the program manager individually overseeing those three weddings, the program manager actually, I guess, coordinates with each respective coordinator for each wedding as more of like a quarterback level. Is that right? Yep. 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 Okay. Exactly that. I got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And for, for us, we, we have like different partners that I could like convey, for example, within reach, like you could imagine we partner with our TA team um, to make sure our team is meeting deadlines throughout a hiring cycle. Yeah. We partner with HR. They're a key partner during promo cycles, letting us know any key dates. Yeah. We partner with org leads, keeping them up to date on the, yeah. the the current apprentice state. We also partner with like managers and mentors, ensuring that they understand the apprenticeship structure and to support their apprentices' growth. Uh, and a new one that we rolled out is reach community leads. And, and now we're going to have be having to check in on how how our track communities are doing yeah. uh, within reach. So yeah, reach has grown a lot since I've started, and I feel like we'll only continue to. Yeah. Or I believe will only continue to. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you a follow-up question on that. I yeah. forgot to earlier. So how has the program evolved maybe from the time that you joined? And yeah, I guess when you, from the time you yeah. joined Reach to today, how has it evolved? And how do you maybe see it continue to evolve? You know, that was the interesting about joining Reach is that when I first joined LinkedIn, the team that I joined was completely from scratch. Mm. So I had the opportunity to kind of 
build something from ground up and like literally there's like it can go any direction yeah. whereas when i joined reach i believe it was 2021 or 2021 i believe it was a very prestigious program already at the time so i had to come in with like a new fresh pair of eyes okay. and kind of see how can i build upon this program that is already amazing to make it even more amazinger yep <laughs> if amazinger is even a term but it is uh, now but yeah with that i guess some areas that i could just show improvement is not only are we continuing to hire and the apprentice number is growing we're also expanding our support systems. So I'm helping to expand our support systems within Reach. So an example of that is Reach Community Leads. Mm. So what we've heard from our apprentices is that there is an eagerness to meet folks from other cohorts and learn from others who are in the same track. Mm. Now, we provided this leadership role for Reach alumni to kind of create those touch points for folks who are in the same track and across different cohorts. So now we have like an apps reach community lead. We have a data reach community lead. We have a SRE and UI reach community lead. And thanks to that, we now have knowledge sharing and a sense of community between those folks. Another area of growth is our manager and mentor community. So you could imagine every reach apprentices experience is different because they all have a different manager and a different mentor. In September, we're actually rolling out a manager and mentor community learning form mm. where managers and mentors can kind of really get together and share that knowledge with each other about reach and any challenges that they're facing and just gain that deep knowledge and program understanding to better support their apprentice. Okay. So we hope this brings more consistency for our apprentice experience yeah. and really just like, you know, helps our managers have a have an area where they can rely on and another support system for them to learn. So yeah, Reach has evolved a lot. We are always looking for areas to improve. I think that's the thing about program management is you're just always looking to improve, always looking to understand the problem, yeah. always asking people how things are doing. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, no, yeah. So absolutely. I, you know, I was a little bit, I was thinking about this and like, especially you'd mentioned like from the manager and mentor side of things, I was recently thinking, you know, in terms of potential improvements, could it be better mm -hmm. if there was like a centralized, almost like a curriculum to make it more standardized? But I'm a little bit torn with that. And I'm curious yeah. of your thoughts to the extent you want to share. You know, there is power in having a more distributed model, especially if you have that information sharing opportunity that you had mentioned. So yeah, I, I guess I could see both sides of that. I don't know if you have a, a preference between the two or, or thoughts. As of right now with managers, I think given that they are full-time or like they're managing an employee. Yeah. It's kind of their it's kind of their responsibility to own their employees. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Rather than the reach team, because obviously yeah. it's like me and Nicole, we're a two-person team. Yeah. We try, try to do as much as we can. But yeah, I think the manager mentor community will hopefully help in the long run. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Have you heard about the manager and mentor community rolling out yet? Or is this the first time? No, I guess not in so many words, I guess. I knew that there was like the workshop, which I think I, I volunteered at one of those, but I didn't oh, know yes, about yes. the more the more formal process. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be rolling out in September. We're cool. literally today, the rest of the day, I'm just putting together slides on our kickoff meeting for that. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. well, look, I, I know we're coming up on our time and I want to be yes. respectful of yours, but before you get out of here, I would love to throw you on the hot seat and ask you some rapid fire questions to better understand the psychology of Raymond. You up for that? Oh man. Okay. That sounds like a lot of fiery fun let's do it all right what does your typical morning routine look like meditate oh 
I like it. Do you do it for 10 minutes or do you just kind of go with the flow and, and do what feels right? Uh, a combination of meditating and stretching, definitely getting in tune with my mental self as well as my physical self, just to make sure I'm all set and ready to go for the day at hundred percent. Nice. I love that. Yeah. I used to meditate a little yeah. bit. I, I should probably get back into that because I definitely <laughs> felt better when I was. So yeah, it's an opportunity to like really know yourself yeah. like in every way possible. All right. Next question. If money didn't exist, what do you think you would do every day with your time? Relationships, friends, family, spending time with my support system. I think that is the biggest monetary piece of money. Like biggest thing in life is relationships. And that's why I love LinkedIn too, is I know relationships matter here. Yeah. Community has always been big to me. And I feel like if I were to be on my deathbed, literally a minute in a minute from now, I'd, I'd look back and really just look at the relationships that I've had built. Yeah. So I feel like you already do that to a large extent. So I feel like you're, you're living oh, thank your dream. You, thank you. Yeah. All right. If you could send a single message to your former self to help you during these transitions that you've done and throughout your time so far, what do you think that message would be? Oh man, I would say live in the moment. Yeah. I, I genuinely believe in that. Just living in, in the, the moment. moment. Yeah. Okay. All right. So does that mean <laughs> maybe these are supposed to be rapid fires, but I, I have to ask. So does that mean maybe you, you didn't live in the moment as much as maybe you otherwise would have liked I, to have? I think that is what I did in life, which has brought me to where I am today. So yeah, actually the quite opposite is like, I feel like because I live in the moment, it brings me to specialer moments. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> yeah. This is cool. Are there any books or podcasts that have had a big impact on you? TED Talks. TED Talks TED for Talks. sure. Right. Yep. If there are any of your favorite ones, I'd love to to add links in the the show notes. That'd be nice. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll definitely add in the ones that I talked about and a few more that has really changed my life. Yes. All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today that we didn't? Yeah, I would highly encourage everyone here to make a vision board. Vision board. T tell me more. What's a vision board? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ever since I was younger, I actually created a vision board and reflection board. Every December, I would look back at my year and pull together any pictures that remind me of that specific year. And then I'd look ahead and sit down with myself and see what I want to accomplish for the next year. Now within the vision board, there can be different things to think about, whether it's health, relationships, finances, career, et cetera, et cetera. It's really up to you to decide, but really just taking the time to intentionally sit down with yourself and create a vision for yourself over the next year to visually look at every single day to help you achieve your dreams and goals. So I'm a huge advocate for vision boards. I wake up every morning looking at my vision board and seeing what I want to accomplish. Nine times out of 10, everything I put comes to life. Mm -hmm. Reach has come to life. My time in Hawaii has come to life. A lot of things that I put on my vision board have come to life, even like the experiences that I wanted to experience. So yeah, yeah huge advocate for it. No, I love that. I've never heard of it, I guess, put that way, but I can definitely see the power. I guess it's impossible to get somewhere without deconstructing mm -hmm. how or where you want to go. So I definitely see the power in that. Absolutely. All right. Is no, if anyone wants to connect with you, where, where should I send them? Should I send them to your LinkedIn? Yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn is the best bet. All right. I'll do it. <laughs> Raymond, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and sharing more about the reach program. Again, I'm so glad to know you and I feel like you're an amazing person. Look forward to continue to watch your story unfold. And I know you're going to do great things as you're already doing. 
Thank you, James. I really appreciate you. And again, helping to amplify stories for folks. What you're doing is super powerful and is like a huge bridge. I feel like our mission with your podcast and reach definitely align and you help to amplify those stories. So proud of you. Keep doing what you're doing and a huge kudos to this moment. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show. One big lesson here is that in the long run of your life, your grades and your college degree does not define you or what you'll be doing the rest of your life. Over time, you start to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and you start to recognize that you're the only person that can change your mindset and yourself.